There are other issues in terms of you negotiating with your new partner, how your finances should be working in the family. That in of itself is a very complicated issue. But hopefully, if you've both been through divorce or separation, you will be more willing to have those conversations openly and constructively because you know how important it is. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Welcome back to In The Blend. In this episode, we're delving into the substantial topic of divorce and have the privilege of hearing from an expert in the field, Jacqueline Wharton. Jacqueline is a divorce advisor on a mission to empower individuals to have what she calls good divorces. During our chat, we'll be exploring the common challenges people face during this process, the ingredients for a good divorce, legal responsibilities for parents during and after separation, navigating new relationships after divorce, and ensuring children's well-being remains a priority. So, whether you're personally facing this journey, supporting a loved one through it, or simply seeking valuable insights for what can be one of life's biggest challenges, this episode promises to offer wisdom, guidance, and a path towards mastering divorce with clarity. Let's dive in. Now, Jacqueline, you are Australia's first separation and divorce advisor. You're a relationship coach, a mediator, and also a former family lawyer. So you are clearly the right woman for the job when it comes to our episode (laughs) theme. (laughs) So to start us off, can you share with us how your personal journey through divorce led you into your current line of work? Uh, Absolutely. So I had been a litigation lawyer for one of Australia's major law firms for seven or eight years, um, got a little bit over that, ended up working at Telstra as a negotiation advisor. So they put me through um, a whole lot of training and negotiation, um, the Harvard Law School negotiation program, conflict coaching, facilitation, mediation. And it just opened up a whole new world to me about how people can resolve their disputes um, with integrity and probably a lot more efficiently than they can if they go through the court. Uh, They have a lot more control over their matter. So I was really attracted to negotiation as a skill. My, um, the father of my children then left and me and I started, as a lot of people do, um, studying psychology. Now, my psychologist, after you told me that I'd be a terrible psychologist because I was far too bossy. <laughs> I think that was in my legal training. And she said to me, what do you really want to do? And I said, I really want to help people negotiate their divorces. And she said, well, I've, I've watched you negotiate with your ex for um, a year now. And um, I've been waiting for you to say that to me for six months. And here are three <laughs> names of clients who I want you to ring. So I I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I went home, I researched, I looked everywhere. So this was, yeah, 16 years ago. I couldn't find anything at all. And um, 
there were some people in um, the UK, I think, called um, Divorce Angels where you could ring them and they would go to court with you. But nothing else really, what I was looking for, um, someone to hold your hand basically through your divorce to be what I would have wanted. So, yes, I started with those three clients and after about a month with them, um, asked them all whether they would pay for my services and they all said that they would. And so that's how it started and really I've been working um, a bit behind the scenes. I don't really promote myself that much um, for that uh, for 16 years and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I did dabble in family law for a little while because I wanted to see the other side. But um, uh, after a while I felt I was more useful in this in this sort of area. Um, there were there were there's a lots of family lawyers out there, so this was a little bit different. And it was a, it was a, I, I received a lot of professional um, validation and um, what's the right word comfort or I, I enjoyed helping people in a very intimate um, and productive way. Mm. So that's how separation divorce advisors started. Fascinating. Well, it sounds like the perfect role for you in your in your uh, you know your current current uh, stage of life and career. I know that navigating divorce can be incredibly daunting. Can you tell us about the most common challenges that people face when they're going through this process? Yes, there and there are a lot of challenges. Divorce is all-consuming. I should say that uh, for people that haven't been through divorce, it's very difficult to explain how it actually feels. It's, I often say it's a lot like having a baby. You can read all you want, you can talk to people, you can learn as much as you can, but the reality of it is very different. So for a lot of people, they feel that they've lost their their past their present and their future and it's a very scary time you often feel like you're in free fall but at the same time while you're grieving you are called upon to start negotiating with your ex on finances and parenting if you have children together and you can't avoid it so um that would be the 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 absolutely um major challenge of having to sit down with someone who now there's not always conflict some people are very amicable and that's wonderful but in lots of cases obviously there are tensions uh, and to sort of negotiate or fight your way to a resolution in those circumstances can be really difficult Uh, people feel on the financial front that they want to be valued they're scared about their finances, what their future looks like. They don't want things to ch- uh, change. Um, with the children, they're worried about how much time they're going to be spending with their children. Um, will they lose their children? Um, will their children be harmed through the divorce? So the challenges are often that people are, as I said, scared and don't really know what to do next. Then what what is the next step? What how do I begin this? How do I even start to get you know to the other side of the mountain? And unfortunately, um, there is no way through it without 
there is no way through it. You have to go through it. You can't go around it, under it, whatever. You have to actually <laughs> go through it, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But um, by learning to be prepared or starting to prepare, um, learning, trying to get as much information as you can, talking to professionals, you can sort of take start taking the first steps. Mm. I think in your case as well, because you've been through it, plus with the training and background that you've got, you'd be very well placed to be able to really empathise and understand a lot of the challenges that you mentioned that people are going through. I, I, I think I, I felt all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, most, of them and, most of them anyway. Yeah. yeah. So... I know on your website you say you're on a mission to empower people to have good divorces and I love mm-hmm. the sound of that given the challenges <laughs> that you've just mentioned. So what are the key ingredients for a good divorce then? Oh, such a good question, isn't it? And I think having a good divorce is very um, – it's a very individual concept. So – I obviously there's a whole lot of terms being thrown around um, these days. We see it all the time. Uh, people have got an amicable divorce with you know um, Hugh Jackman and Deborah on the weekend or last week. It's all about being amicable. Then we have the whole um, conscious uncoupling concept. Having um, so I might talk about those um, mm. concepts actually, and then turn to maybe what I think a, a good divorce is. So. Um, being amicable really requires two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, requires two people to um, come together and agree to treat each other with respect through the divorce negotiation stage and uh, be open to listening, to hearing each other and to work together constructively towards um, resolution of whether that's parenting, practical issues, financial issues. That's how I always see an amicable um, divorce or separation. Uh, Conscious uncoupling is, I think, more about how you feel about what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. Uncoupling yourself from the emotional aspects of the relationship and not engaging in... um, warfare as it were so think more as I always say think more um yes well hopefully Hugh Jackman and Deborah rather than you know Angelina and Brad yes you you, you're not you're not uh no pot shots behind each other's back as it were so we have amicable divorces we have conscious uncoupling and then I think I think for myself a good divorce is really a combination of both of those as far as you can um, um, because what you're looking for is to act in accordance with your own values, working out your own goals and being able to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and think, I did okay. Not every day you're going to think that. We're all human. Some days are going to be better than others. Some days we're much more, um, we're less reactive to what's going on. But a good divorce, I think, means being open to growth, but being um, walking your talk. Mm. There's something called um, 
uh, well, I call it, I'm not sure everyone else calls it, but I certainly call it when I'm working with my clients, post-divorce growth. And it's a bit like post-traumatic um, growth. There, as, as I think Lee Sales has made, um, um, she's made that term quite um, commonplace of late. But post-divorce growth, I see it in my clients every day. If they're open to learning and being curious, um, reflecting on what happened, reflecting on what their contribution was to the relationship breakdown and really focusing on being the best parent they can be. You see people um, come out of divorce uh, more humble, grateful, willing, uh, more tolerant of others a lot of the time. They call it, I think, in the States a reset whereby everything is sort of rushed away, you have to rebuild and it gives you a platform to rebuild. So I think having a good divorce is also part of that is being open to growing, having some growth through the process. Sometimes, of course, in the middle of it all, you're not going to feel like that because you're reacting to all the practical and you're reacting to the financial and all the stresses and the little conflicts and whatever. You're not feeling like that. But over time, I see a lot of people grow. Yes. Which is great. Oh, it must be really reassuring for those listening who are going through the the eye of the storm at the moment to know that there is that opportunity for growth out the other side. And and it's great to hear that that people get to the stage where we're they are having that time to reflect on themselves and things that w- worked well and things that perhaps didn't work so well in that previous life and um and then ultimately that's going to set them up for for more success in their their new life um from their new life mm-hmm. mm. so let's talk about the legal piece which i'm sure is quite uh, close to your heart as well given your your background in family law so what are some of the key responsibilities that parents should be aware of during and after the separation process? So assuming the divorced couple have got children. So the main responsibility, so first of all, it's really important that everyone understands that under the um, Australian Family Law Act, parents don't have rights. Really, they've only got responsibilities. The only people that have rights are the children. And that's a right to have a meaningful relationship with both or connection with both their parents. And I talk about that being uh, whereby the children know who you are. Your child knows what makes you laugh, what you don't like eating, who your best friends are, what your little routines are, what your quirks are. That's knowing someone intimately. And children have a right to know both parents in that way unless, of course, there's issues of safety, which is obviously... Um, means that uh, their safety comes first, always safety first under the Family Law Act. So the responsibility is in terms of parental responsibility, there's a responsibility to ensure that you are informing you are the, parent, the other parent uh, as to what, uh, for example, uh, medical procedures your children are, are going through, um, education, religion, parental responsibility really encompasses all of those types of guardianship issues. Mm-hmm. So, yes, 
medical health, education, religion, some social, uh, cultural issues. And you have responsibilities to ensure that the other parent is as far as possible across those because you're meant to be making joint decisions, decisions together on those very, very, very important issues. Day-to-day care, very different. For day-to-day care, when your children are with you, they're with you. You are responsible for what time they go to bed, what they're eating, um, unless it's a health issue, of course, uh, who they're playing with, when they do their homework. But unless there are court orders in place, um, th- those are your decisions. And, and I, I do know that some parents would like to have more say over what time the children go to bed with their um with the other parent, but unfortunately it's not really um, it's not really within the realms of parental responsibility. That's more day-to-day care. Mm-hmm. There are other responsibilities under, fin- under the, um, the Act in relation to finances, which is, uh, and it's a really important obligation that both parents have, and that's an obligation to provide full and frank disclosure, financial disclosure, to the other parent and that's a positive duty and an ongoing duty. So even if you're, the other side doesn't ask for a particular document, you're still required to provide it to them and you have to keep providing it to them until um, you've come to a financial settlement. So that, that's important to know because people often say to me, oh, well, I don't need to give them, you know, my private bank account details or whatever and I said, no, actually you do. You are required to disclose everything. So everything that you're spending on your in your private accounts, the other side is entitled to see until you've come to a fully legally binding agreement on your finances. Interesting. And can that change at any time up until the children are 18 years of age or is there a point at which that agreement becomes null and void as the children become adults? So the financial agreement? The financial or- agreement. Um, no. So the financial agreement is usually about your split of assets and um, sometimes spousal maintenance. So once you've entered into that, that stays put. There's an, another agreement that you can come in, uh, you enter into in relation to child support and that's called, called a binding child support agreement and that would generally remain in place until the children are all 18. Okay. Um, or have finished year 12. So sorry. Um, obviously, it. as each child turns eighteen, the um, the agreement would cease to apply to them as they turn eighteen or finish year twelve, whichever is the latter. Got it. Yes, okay. there's a, the law is quite complicated in this area in terms of understanding what documents you need in relation to each of your agreements. So um, there are four different four or more different types of agreements that you might need to sign off your, (laughs) to finalise your parenting or financial settlement and get divorced. So, Okay. It's a complex Mm. web. It is, unfortunately. Mm. And made even more complex when that divorced couple are then considering new relationships or marriages as well, Uh which will happen after Mm -hmm. their separation or divorce or even if they're getting divorced for a second time round and then going into another relationship. (laughs) So what what sort of extra complexities in your experience are surfacing in that scenario? 
So when people enter into new relationships, so there's obviously the parenting side and there's the financial side. I might deal with financial first if you don't mind and then let's talk Mm. about the the parenting because that is complex. But obviously there's a whole lot of other issues that happen once you move in with somebody else if you've got children or even if you don't, but if you have children. If spousal maintenance is being paid to you, then you should really get some legal advice as to whether that will still be being paid. Child support should still be being paid to you by your ex or you should still be paying child support. Uh, you know, the new partner isn't necessarily responsible for paying for your children. So that that should all be fine. But there are other issues in terms of you negotiating with your uh, new partner, how your finances should be working in the family. And uh, uh, that in of itself is a very complicated issue. But hopefully... If you've both been through divorce or separation, you will be more willing to have those conversations openly and constructively because you know how important it is. I work with a lot of couples who come to me to do um, binding financial agreements before moving in together. They're really the prenup, as the, mm-hmm. the, the colloquial term for them, and that uh, it, they're really good conversations because people actually talk about their money values, how they see their future together financially and otherwise, and really have those raw conversations before the conflict arises. So money is often how value, it's how we perceive ourselves. So being able to have those honest and transparent conversations before making any um, joint purchases of a major um, major purchases, it can be really helpful for people to understand where they sit and what they can expect and that can lead to much more productive conversations and probably less conflict within the relationship. So even though those conversations are hard when you're putting the prenup together, they are very much worthwhile. So that's on the financial front. Mm. Obviously the, the children front. The parenting front, there are a whole lot of issues. It's obviously blending. I always say it's like blending. You've got two hands and you're trying to blend the fingers together and, you know, there can be a lot of friction um, at different times for different reasons. And it often looks much easier from a distance, but managing all the children can be um, a quite challenging. It isn't the Brady Bunch, is it? My partner and I, my partner and I are partners. We live apart and we've been lived apart for 12 years and we've got three children each, the same ages. People were always so keen for us to move in together and we were were like, well, where's Alice? If we get an Alice, maybe, but otherwise, (laughs) uh, otherwise not. Uh, It isn't as easy as it is and it certainly isn't easy in the first few years of a separation um, because the other parent is often quite stressed about the impact of the new relationship on their relationship with the children. So you've, you've got not just what's going on in your household but what's going on outside your household with the other parent. So, yeah, the, there are 
I, I always think it's better to be transparent with the other parent if possible. They don't get to dictate, you know, who you, who you see or how you want to live your life. But in terms of for your children, it is better that they know that their other parent understands what's happening so they don't have to hide hold secrets on your behalf. We don't want children to be holding the angst. So if you are introducing a new partner to your children, for example, it's always good to tell the other parent first so that when little Johnny comes home, you can say, oh, Johnny, I hear that your dad introduced you to Sally today. How did that go? And what, how, what a relief for little Johnny that he doesn't have to go home wondering, does mum know? Is mum going to be upset? Do I tell mum? We, we try and take as much stress off our, our kids as we can in that respect. Mm. I've forgotten the question. Am I? Where, oh, no. am I, where am yeah, I that's, <laughs> no, that, that's, a, look, that's such a good tip, and you know, you you'd answered the question uh, well. So the the question was around <laughs> the challenges that people face when they're entering a second marriage, and we were talking about the financial, mm. and then the yes, and, the, then, and then, then the family then the aspects. Yeah. I know, and there's yeah. look, and there's no there's no one size fits all, as you say, and. Your personal situation with the two houses can work mm. e- equally well as a, another Brady Bunch style scenario, but it, it just it purely depends, doesn't it, on on so many factors that are unique to every single circumstance and situation. Um, uh, absolutely, I think it was like I was saying it. Um, I think to you before we got online that I always think mm-hmm. that new relationships are like. Um, a cake. Everyone knows the that there are ingredients and that you put in the oven the process of it, but all those different ingredients creates a very different cake. And there does need to be, yes, it, 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 they all need to be mixed in well, but probably at different times. <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> oh, I identify with that. So yes. coming coming back to the children. Mm-hmm. Are there any other ways, because I, I love the tip that you just shared, are there any other ways in your experience that parents can ensure the well-being of their children is going to remain a top priority when they're moving into that new relationship or perhaps moving in with somebody new? Yes. So, look, I think just generally in divorce and, and obviously moving in with your um uh, a new partner, you always have to remember that you're, well, first of all, I would always say don't force it. And I'm sure you've talked about that many, many times on your podcast. You, you can't force your children to like your other partner or like your other partners, your children, if they have them. It is, it, it, it evolves. Uh, if they, if your parent, if your children trust you, they will generally begin to trust the other, the other, um, your new partner, but forcing things on children can be fraught, I think, especially as they get a little bit older. So I would always say patience. Another good tip is to always think about what hat you're wearing when you're interacting with your children. So you're wearing your parent hat 80% of the time. Your woman hat, your man hat, your adult hat, is a hat that you tend to wear when you're not with your children and so you can react to whatever is going on. 
in an adult way when you're wearing your adult hat away from your children. But when your children are with you, you're wearing a parent hat and everything needs to be seen from their perspective. If they feel that you're doing that, they will trust you and they will trust your judgment and they won't feel forced into a situation that they don't, they don't like. At the end of the day, they're looking for your attention. And if you're, if you, um, are seen to be giving it to someone else all the time instead of them, then they're going to react to that. And they're probably going to react against the other, your new partner, to be honest. So you've got to make sure, sure you're giving your children enough time. I love that analogy of the hats as well. I think that's a good visual just to be thinking about <laughs> which role am I playing and being really mindful of that when, you, when you're in each, yeah. each of them. Because it is um, the other thing, when you're wearing your parent hat, you then remember that, you choose, that you're the adult and they're the children. And that can be really important when I, I talk a lot about, and I won't bore you with all of them, but the three C's of a child-centered divorce, and they all begin with C. Uh, but uh, the most important ones for, for, for me are obviously conflict. So you're not ever exposing your children to conflict. We all know that children can suffer greatly from conflict through the divorce. And in fact, children can actually fare very well through divorce and can grow as well. But that's the conflict that causes their angst. So conflict is, it's important that you don't expose your children to that. And that's going to be really important for the other parent too, if they're having some difficulties with you moving in with um, a new partner, that they are wearing their parent hat and really thinking about the children first. The other thing that's the other C word is let children be children. Uh, don't make them become your confidant. So oversharing about the new relationship too can can sort of make the child a little bit too invested or involved and you've really got to have that time. I think parents need to have or new partners certainly need time to themselves before they're really involving the children. And I, I always say to people, look, I, I know sometimes people don't want to enter into new relationships with children when they've got children until they know that their children like the other person. And I think that's absolutely fantastic and I agree with that entirely. But at the same time, once you've introduced your children, the relationship definitely changes. And it's really nice to have that honeymoon period without involving children at all. <laughs> so, you know, um, yes, uh, yeah, try and try and at least keep your children out of it for some time while you test whether it's going to work and children don't need to be constantly seeing um, people coming in and out of your life if, if yes, yeah. optimally. Mm. Such good advice. And so for somebody who's listening to this and they might not be there yet, they might be right at the beginning of their divorce journey, uh, they're not, not thinking about blending families quite yet, what advice would you give to help them approach the process with, with confidence and with clarity? Yes, another really great question, but a big question, obviously. So I always say that the most important word in divorce is preparation. Um, I sometimes say to people, think about how much time you put into organising your wedding and then think about 
what you're doing now, this is probably the biggest negotiation of your life. You're not only negotiating for a share of hard-fought finances, but you're also often fighting for time with your children and fighting is probably not the right word. I'll, I'll say negotiating or discussing. Um, and you would never walk into a negotiation in your workplace. If you, were, if you were running a negotiation in your workplace when you were talking about negotiating that amount of money or something else as sacred as time with children, you would be preparing for that for a long time. You would be understanding all of your numbers You'd be understanding your children's schedule. You'd be looking at it from all angles. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't do the preparation. Um, I don't understand why. It's very scary. It's, uh, you know, for a lot of people, they're not across their numbers. They're not across the, the macro, their bigger picture in terms of what their mortgage is or how much super they've got or um, have they got shares or they're not across all the numbers, the big numbers, and then they're not across a lot of the detail of their everyday budget. So it's 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 scary to do, but once you start preparing, once you start doing your budget, once you start understanding, uh, you know, your, your bigger financial picture, you will feel more confident to understand what it is that you want and what is achievable and whether or not you should be, you know, thinking about keeping the house. People often want to keep the house when they have children, whether that actually is a good financial decision for you. Uh, in terms of the children, it's really important that you think about your children's schedule. You think about what's important to your children. Who do you want your children to become? You've got to give some thought as to, what might happen in five years and, and, and not just the now. Do you want your children to be confident and secure? And if so, how are you going to achieve that uh, with, with your ex? How are you both going to work together to give that, uh, give them the right, your children the right environment to thrive so as to become uh, secure? So unfortunately it is hard work. It's prepare, prepare, prepare. And it's also trying as much as you can to take the emotion out of it, which is very difficult. But in Australia, we have a no-fault divorce system for a reason. No-fault means that you're not going to get more of the asset pool because you didn't like the way your ex behaved and behaved, unless it's, of course, family violence, in which case it is a factor that should be taken into account. But just because you didn't like, you know, what they were doing from day to day doesn't mean that that means that you're entitled to more. So you've got, you've got to, or if, that, if you've been left, for example, it doesn't mean because you've been left that you're entitled to more of the asset pool. So getting across, understanding how the law works, getting good advice from third-party professionals, getting across your numbers, getting across your children's routines, and then also preparing your mindset or your mojo. I always say a good divorce is 50% mojo and 50% um, matter management. So you really need to understand where you are emotionally on your divorce journey 
and learn to harness the negative or the, the more the black cloud emotions to sort of pull you across um, the, the stormy seas of your divorce, if you like. But learning, yes, learning to understand your emotions and learning to self-soothe and seeing and preparing for your future. Yes, that's um, prepared. preparation is key, unfortunately. It's hard work. <laughs> yes. But it's worth it. Such good advice. Uh, th- well, thank you very much for your insight and and your time today, Jacqueline. I could keep keep talking to you for hours here, but we <laughs> <laughs> we are at time. Jacqueline, just lastly, where can listeners go to connect with you or um, uh, get in touch with Oh, sorry, I'm going to say that line again. <laughs> um, Jacqueline, just lastly, where can listeners go if they'd like to connect with you or learn more about the services that you offer? Well, I have a couple of different services. I have an online course, which is a, a separation divorce masterclass, and it's really designed to help you work through your divorce step-by-step. There are a lot of resources out there, but this is really designed to ensure that you know what to do next at any point in the journey and it's as I said 50 50 videos with associated worksheets for everything from do you actually want to leave to how to leave a lot on um, different types of living arrangements like nesting uh, and financials parenting and how to engage a lawyer if you need one um, so that's the online course, and you can find that at the Relation Suite. So relation, and then suite. dot com. dot au. If people want to talk to me individually, um, they can reach out to me through uh, my other website, Separation and Divorce Advisors. And I also work with couples who wish to be amicable. I have a process called Separation Collaboration which is a very transparent and forward-looking process, but it's designed to keep um, negotiations going in a very structured um, and constructive uh, way. So um, that that works really well and usually post that process finishing, we've got um, an agreement signed and, and people are still, as a, as a general rule, on really good speaking terms, which is, I think, what everybody wants at the end of the day. No point holding on to your anger. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, very good. Well, thank you again, Jacqueline. We so appreciate your time and have a wonderful afternoon. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Laura. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn.